charge. <laughs> it's good to see some of these uh, children eager, isn't it, to go out to learn more about God. Lovely to see. Okay, we're going to uh, just pray now and pray for John as he comes up and brings God's word to us. Father God, once again we thank you for uh, being here, for us being here today, and we just pray for John as he comes up in a moment to bring your word to us. Be with him and give him the words to say. We, uh, we pray, Lord, and for ourselves, Lord, we, all, we pray you open the ears and eyes of our heart, that we might see and hear what a wonderful thing God you are, as we just Listen to your word expounded to us through John. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you, John. <sighs> well, it's bad news for you guys, isn't it? I haven't been told you've got children, and they send you back in. How to listen to me? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, let's uh, read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, shall we? Just a few verses to start us off. Uh, we're not, no, no, <laughs> I didn't think we were. Rich has been working really, really hard um, in the last half hour to try to get pictures up on the screen. I'm sorry you're not going to see any this morning by the look of it. Uh, uh, shame, I've got some good ones this morning, but there you go. Uh, you're just going to have to look at my peerless beauty instead, something like that. So 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 35 says this. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps a wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and each star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. That's all we're going to read to start with. Um, just a quick advert to start. As you know, in the evening we're doing a series called Lamp in the Darkness, which is about prophecy through the Bible. And over the last couple of sessions, we've had a look at six prophets, which is pretty good going. We're going to take on another three tonight. 
The reason for that is we're going through what are called the minor prophets, or what Jews call just the Twelve. Twelve names like Zephaniah and Zechariah and Haggai, Habakkuk, whom nobody can ever spell. Have a try afterwards and see if you get it right. Um, and, and, and people like that who are, wrote very short books, which are still there in the Old Testament. How do you disentangle them? How do you tell them apart? We've been looking at the way in which they divide into four groups of three, and we're on the third group tonight. We're going to be talking, if I can get this thing moving again, that's better. We're going to be talking about Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Haggai, a very old prophet by the look of it. Oh, we're up there, are we? Hey, look at that. Is that man a miracle worker? I think that deserves a round of applause, don't you? There we go. Okay, so we're looking at those three tonight, and I've called them the old one, because Haggai was pretty much an old man who remembered the old days, and he prophesied over a period of four months, would you believe? That's all he did? And yet he ch turned the whole nation around in those four months with four revelations that God gave to him. Then there was Zechariah, who came along when Haggai had started and joined in. And Haggai must have been glad to see him because Zechariah did a fantastic job of reinforcing Haggai's message from a different youthful perspective with all kinds of visions and that Haggai knew nothing about. And then finally, in the next generation, there was a man called Malachi. And I've called him the final one because he seems to be the last person in that whole chain of 12 prophets. And tonight we're going to see about how they worked at one of the most important and critical moments in Israel's history. They'd been taken into exile. Amazingly, wonderfully, 70 years later, they'd been given the chance to come back and re-establish everything. And those three prophets guided the process in uh, a very interesting kind of a way. However, that's not this morning. This morning, we're looking at the Great Parks vision statement once again. We'll be doing this through the year. Yeah. And uh, we, as you probably know by now, there are four things in it. Uh, the uh, uh, vision of Great Parks, you see people, it says saved, discipled, equipped, and encouraged. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at that word saved and what it means. Last week, you might remember, we were talking about the fact that there is a difference between being saved in the past and being saved right now. And if you look at verses like these, you see the difference quickly. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, says 2 Timothy 1.9. The message of the cross to us who are being saved is the power of God. You see the difference? The first one is talking about something that has already happened. You have been saved. And there needs to be a moment when you pass from death to life, when you make the decision, I'm going to follow Jesus and nobody else. When your life is altered by becoming a new creation, that is something that happens once and for all. You don't need to do it every five minutes. Go forward at every big evangelistic rally, sign a, a card or, or whatever. Uh, you, it's done once and for all and it has eternal consequences. You're saved and that's done. But on the other hand, we are being saved. And that's talking about something different, isn't it? It's talking about something that's happening right now. We are being saved. God is gradually changing us from the grotty stuff he started with into something that more reflects his likeness and his glory. And you can see the changes as people carry on living as Christians and the way in which God is gradually getting more and more of a grip on them, more of a handle on their lives and turning them more and more into something that vaguely resembles Jesus. But that's not where it stops. There are three tenses, not two. There may be a past tense, we have been saved. There may be a present tense, we are being saved. But there's also a future tense. 
So past tenses about the day you came to know Jesus for yourself. The present tense is what's happening as God's Spirit works in you day by day. But the future uh, is when you will be saved, when you see the Lord and you live with him forever. And so before we leave this subject of salvation, which is the first part of the vision statement, we need to have a quick look at that one as well. So that's where we're looking at this morning. You will be saved one of these days. Right, well, does the New Testament really talk like that? And the answer is, well, yes, it does. There are verses like this in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. In other words, your salvation is something you're heading towards, and one of these days you're going to get there, but it's not complete yet. You haven't got everything that's in the package that you're going to get. Actually, Steve's thing this morning was all about grace, wasn't it? And uh, grace works the same way. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's favour, his mercy poured out on us. And it has happened. We have received his grace in the past when we became Christians. It is happening day by day. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. And it will be complete one of these days. Um, Ephesians chapter, chapter uh, 2 says that God has saved us um, so that he can pour uh, the uh, riches of his grace upon us and show the immeasurable riches of his grace to us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that's going to go on for eternity. Past, present, future. There are more verses, so it's not just that one. Since we have now been justified by his blood, says Paul in another part of Romans, how much more shall we be saved in the future from God's wrath through him? And there he's looking forward to the judgment at the end of time and saying, we are going to be saved finally and fully when that happens. And third, uh, in Hebrews, you get the same story. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. That's been done. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, because that bit of salvation has already been done, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for it. So it's confusing, isn't it? You have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. So what is it in the future that we're still waiting for? There are lots of things you could say about this. There really are. And a lot of it we don't know very much about because we get hints in the Bible, but no more than that. I want to focus just in on three things that I think are quite important. You haven't been saved yet in terms of your mind. You are still waiting for the salvation of your mind. You don't understand everything perfectly the way that God wants you to understand it. Your brain doesn't work in the way that it needs to work. And uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, whoops, gone on too far. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, he says. Then we shall see face to face. When I see Jesus, something is going to happen to my mind, which makes it a different kind of a mind, working in a slightly different way. Now I know in part, says Paul, then I, I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Your mind will suddenly understand all kinds of things it never did understand before. Now, our lives are full of questions and things we don't understand and stuff we've never studied and things that people have different opinions about. But then we will know as we are known. Nobody knows you better than God. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. For some of us, that's less of a problem than it used to be. But, uh, you know, it's still a big number. And every single hair is known to God, says the Bible. He knows you intimately. If you don't believe that, read Psalm 139. He knew you before you were even born. And everything that happens to you is known to him. Jesus said that not a sparrow was dead of a tree 
without your Heavenly Father knowing about it. He knows everything that's going on. And we will know as we are known. Suddenly the veil will drop away from in front of our faces and we'll see the way things have always been and we've never really understood them. You might think, oh, okay, so what's actually wrong with my mind then? Why doesn't God give us this experience right now? I think there are lots of reasons. Number one, your mind doesn't operate to its full capacity. Do you know, by the time you die, your brain will contain as much information as five times the Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, um, a lot of it will be pretty useless information that you wouldn't find in exactly, but you will have that much in there. In fact, if you count the bits that are stored more than once, it will be 50 times the contents of Encyclopedia Britannica. And your brain is capable of storing an awful lot more than that. It's amazing. Uh, when you look at the untapped potential of the human brain, and we are living in a creation, the book of Romans chapter 8 tells us, which is groaning and travelling in pain. It's never reached its full potential. And that it's true about you and, and your body as well. Your mind is not perfect. It's operating to its full capacity. What's more is it's warped by human sinfulness. The way people think is all wrong because the world has, has turned its back on God and as a result, every baby that's born has got this problem of growing up in a world in which there are sinful instincts. There are wrong things that you imagine. There are passions and emotions that take charge of you sometimes and, and overrule your sensible, logical mind. And your brain gets warped by your experiences. As you go through life, it gets worse. You're living in a corrupt world. And you will have experiences that hurt your brain. There are things that scar it. There are, 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 are hurts and, and, and uh, hang-ups from the past that you just never leave. And you struggle with them and you get through them. Some people are just naturally depressive. There'll be nobody naturally depressive in heaven, that's for sure. And so your mind is going to be made over completely. There also there are things that God hasn't made clear to us yet. There are things he doesn't tell us. Just before Jesus went back to heaven, his disciples were saying, Lord, Lord, is this the time when you're going to take your kingdom? Yeah, really? You're going to be the king of Israel and it's got, all the world's going to come to an end? Is this the time? And Jesus says, look, it's not for you to know about the times and the seasons that Father has in his own hand. When he's ready, he'll tell you, but he's not going to tell you right now. And so there are things that God wouldn't tell us, and you can see why. I mean, if they had known back there, oh, look, we've got 2,000 years to wait before God does anything else, oh, there's no point in doing anything now. We'd never heard the gospel, would we? It was only because they got on with the job straight away thinking, it's coming, it's coming, we don't know when, but we're going to put every effort into making it happen. That was, was, was why the church grew as it did in those early years. And so there are things that God will not tell us. I sometimes think, you know, if, if I uh, went back to age 18 or 19, you know, when I had ideas about the way my life was going to pan out, and some angel had come down from heaven and told me everything that was going to happen, well, I think I quite have liked the anthe a bit, but apart from that, I'm not sure, you know, it's, it would have been the way I'd have chosen to go. And yet God knew best. He put me through a lifetime which has been brilliant. It's really good, most of the time. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I'm just grateful for all of the things that God knew better than I did. And I'm glad he didn't tell me in advance because, oh, not that bit, Lord. No, I don't want that. I, I'd have, I, I wouldn't have wanted it. But what he's given me is great. <laughs> so there are things that God hasn't made clear to yet, and for good reasons as well. And finally, uh, well, there are lots of other reasons, but here's another one. Your mind is being renewed if you're a Christian, but that takes time. 
Do you remember Romans chapter 12? We looked at it a couple of years ago. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As you live as a Christian, God wants to reprogram your memory banks to gradually help you think more and more like Jesus. To have the kind of mind that's positive and creative and the kind of thing that he was dreamt of going on in the circuits inside your head. But that takes time. And you have to cooperate. That's why Paul has to say, be renewed in your mind. Let God go do it. Cooperate with that process. Because there are some Christians that just don't. They never read their Bible. They never think what God wants rather than what they want. They never really... Uh, have anything more than a ticket to heaven that they're clutching they're not allowing God to make them over and unless you do that you're missing out on so much that God wants to give you and to pour into your life but that renewing process takes a lifetime but when you're there when your mind is renewed when your mind is saved and made over then you live on a new level D.L. Moody was uh, a great evangelist in the 19th century possibly led more people to Christ than anybody else in the Victorian years and uh, when he reached the end of his life, he looked a bit like this. And uh, people were thinking, he's a bit frail, he's a bit doddery, he's not going to last much longer. And uh, Moody said one day, and the quote has gone down in history, soon you will read in the papers that Moody is dead. Don't believe it. <laughs> For in that moment, I will be more alive than I have ever been. <laughs> That's the salvation of the mind. Coming into a whole new experience. Where you, oh, wow. So this is what the universe can be like. But it's not just your mind. There's your body as well. Oh, sorry, we'll get on to that in a moment. And one more point I wanted to make, uh, that uh, God puts you through this renewal process, and you might think, well, why doesn't he take you there in one? Why doesn't he just take the veil away right now? But the renewal process shapes what we're going to be like in the future. It's something that eventually we're going to be really, really grateful for. This is W.P. Mackay, great Scottish preacher of the 19th century, and one of those more other dead Scots that I keep on referring to. But he actually wrote a, a hymn about what heaven was going to be like. And I think there are a couple of verses that really interest me. It's not a great hymn, but these verses are good, I think, because they say, you know, when we look back, when we've got to heaven, when we're looking back on the life that we've lived up until now in, in, in this present life, We'll remember it all, and the sorrows and the pain won't matter to us anymore. But the experiences God put us through, they have shaped the kind of people we are and will be for eternity. And so he wrote this. Shall the memory be banished in heaven of his kindness and his care when the wants and woes are vanished which he loved to soothe and share? All the way by which he led us, all the grieving which he bore, all the patient love he taught us, shall we think of them no more? <laughs> we shall read the tender meaning of the sorrows and alarms as we trod the desert, leaning on the everlasting arms. And his rest will be the dearer when we think of weary ways, and his light will shine the clearer as news on cloudy days. This experience that we're going through now, walking by faith rather than by sight, puzzling it through, trying to work out what the will of the Lord is for next week, that experience is going to be part of the glory of heaven. As we look back on it and think, wow, look how far he's brought us. So there's that. But there's also your body. Your body is going to be saved. And that's what the First Corinthians 15 passage that we read uh, this morning is, is, is talking about, isn't it? Your body is going to be different. In what way? Well, in that chapter, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about at least four differences that there will be. 
your body is sowed into the ground and it's raised again by God when your salvation is complete as something quite different. And uh, Paul talks about four different things that are going to happen. First, he says, it's sown in corruption and it's raised in incorruption. Your body is corrupt. You might say, thank you very much, but we all know that. Our bodies are wearing out. They're decaying. I haven't got that many teeth left. I'm not going to show you. But, uh, you know, some of us have lost all of our hair. We all have uh, problems and difficulties physically that we never used to have. Over the last few weeks, you had a pr- real problem in my back. I've got to be really careful. And uh, people at uh, home are getting used to me sort of standing up suddenly. And going, ah, 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 oh, I'll be all right in a minute. And, you know, I've never had that before. Well, I did once, but that's a long story. But, uh, you know, it's just... My body is wearing out, and I've got to realise, you know, that uh, my youthful beauty has now deserted me forever, or at least until the second coming. Don't stop. Oh, never mind. Anyway, you make some terrible faces up, girl. No, it wasn't Steve, it was you. Definitely you. But anyhow, um, what's going to happen is we're sown in corruption and we're raised incorruptible. We will be so different, it will be incredible. I remember a Welsh lad I, I, I used to know who. Um, had all kinds of physical problems and uh, he was at a, a conference with us for young people, a, a young people's holiday uh, in, in, in Sussex one year and I remember the evening session the preacher had been talking about what heaven was going to be like and how we were all going to be changed and I was standing at the top of the stairs outside the boys dormitories just chatting to a few friends at the top of the stairs and suddenly I heard this noise and the noise was a great clumping coming up the stairs and this was John because his, his legs didn't work very well and he had to drag himself up the stairs under a great thump all the time. And I heard this, 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 this weird grating noise as well. And we realised as we stood there, it was John singing. <laughs> and he came up the stairs and he was singing one of the songs that we'd been taught that week. And it went like this. Someday I shall be like him. Someday like him. Changed to heavenly beauty when his face I see. Someday I will like him, someday like him. Hallelujah, this wonderful promise he gives to me. And as he came round the corner of the stair and he came up there, the, the sound was dreadful, but when you looked at his face, it was absolutely radiant. And you got just a glimpse in that moment, at least I did, of what heaven was going to be like when his body was changed from, in, from corruption to incorruptibility. Second, the thing that Paul says is, will be changed from dishonour to glory. What does that actually mean? Well, not everybody is dishonoured on earth here. But when your body is dead, let's face it, you can't do much with it, can you? What do you do with it? You can put the ashes in an urn on the mantelpiece, but what do you do with them after that? Just dust them occasionally? They're not going to do anything. They're not very special. There's nothing more... Um, uh, unnerving than a corpse lying on the ground because you know it's not going to do anything again it's just going to lie there and decay unless you put it away and, and, and we put uh, uh, dead people in beautiful caskets and surround them with flowers but basically their body is not much use anymore it's, it's dishonour because it just has no purpose and the dishonour will change to glory and the Hebrew word for glory is the same as the word for weight <laughs> Glory means having weight, having a purpose, having a value, being honoured by other people because you're doing something. So a useless, inert corpse turns into somebody who counts once again. That's the idea behind that picture. And there's a third one. 
Your body changes from weakness to power. <laughs> There's nothing more weak than a, a, a human body that's reaching the end. It just can't do anything very much anymore. And for all of us, however healthy they are, there are targets we can never achieve. I am never going to score the winning goal for Dunfermline Athletic in the European Cup final. But, uh, you know, um, uh, you, I, I used to uh, dream of playing football much better than I did. If I just practiced, if I just, just trained, I'd be so good. Now I begin to realise, oh, I'm way over the hill. I can't even have a kick about with my 12-year-old, 13-year-old grandson um, uh, any longer because he beats me all the time. And gradually your body becomes weaker and weaker, doesn't it, as you go on? And this body of weakness is going to change to power. It will be able to do new stuff. Uh, do you remember Jesus after he'd risen again? How he was able to just appear in the presence of the disciples in the upper, whoa, who let him in? Isn't that door still locked? Where, how did he get here? And he could just do things that they'd never seen him do before. He, he was there in Jerusalem. They went up to Galilee fishing all night. There's Jesus on the shore making breakfast. How did he get there? What bus did he take? And Jesus clearly could do different things in his body when he was risen than uh, when he was uh, uh, the same sort of human being as, uh, as we all are right now. Weakness to power. So you have a different kind of a body that will operate in a different way. And the fourth thing, and this is the most important thing, is it's sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. Some people think, oh, well, that means you'll have a body that's made of different stuff, you know, because uh, your physical body won't exist any longer. It goes into the grave, it crumbles away, there you are, and uh, you float around like a ghost or an angel sitting on a cloud. You're completely different. That's not what the Bible says. You will still have your body, it will just be a different kind of body. And those words... Uh, they often get translated natural and spiritual in English vers uh, versions in Greek. Don't mean a physical body and a ghost-like body that's intangible and you know, just floats around the place. They mean, both of them mean a body that's physical, just a body that's controlled by something else. And Tom Wright uh, had an interesting um, comment about this. Uh, he says the two adjectives that are used there in 1 Corinthians are psychikos, that's the natural body bit. And pneumaticos. <laughs> pneumaticos means spiritual. Pneuma is the word that's used for the Holy Spirit in, in the Bible. And he says this. Greek adjectives ending in ikos do not describe the material out of which things are made, but the power or energy which animates them. And he says, if you're looking at, a, 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 if you hear about a ship and you start asking questions about it, there are two kinds of questions you could ask. You could ask on the one hand, is this a wooden ship or an iron ship? And if you're asking that question, you're asking, what's it made out of? But you could also ask, is this a steamship or a sailing ship? What, what kind of power has it got? <laughs> and that's the important thing. Your new body will be a spiritual body because it will be controlled and directed by the Holy Spirit. Your new mind and your recreated body will be at his command because you will want what he wants. In this life we go through all sorts of struggles. God wants me to go one way, I want to go another. My old nature gets in the way and says, I'm not doing that, no way. I'm too fearful to do what you want. I'm, I'm, I'm too selfish to do what you want. And there we'll be changed into the likeness of Jesus and we will serve God in the same way that he served God with his whole heart and his whole mind and a united personality.
That's what it's really talking about. And so uh, Wright says, Paul is talking about the present body, which is animated by the normal human psyche, the life force we all possess here and now, which gets us through the present life, but is ultimately powerless against illness, injury, decay and death. And on the other hand, the future body, animated by God's pneuma, God's spirit, God's breath of new life, the energizing power of God's new creation. That is what's going to happen to us. Now, there's one thing, finally, too, to say before we finish. And there's one last bit. The salvation of your mind, you're heading for that. The salvation of your body, you're heading for that as well. But there's also the salvation of your planet. <laughs> Actually, we're talking now about the salvation of the whole universe, but the planet is where we live. So let's just look at that bit of it. God is going to make everything over. He's going to change everything uh, as far as the conditions are concerned in which we live. Um, there's a, a verse in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 that says a, a bit about it. It says this, The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It's going to be a complete change over. This whole system will just be rolled up like a map that's not needed anymore. Uh, and, and God is going to change everything and it will be a whole new deal. On the other hand, in Acts chapter 3, you find uh, Peter saying this, Heaven must receive Jesus until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So is God going to do something completely different? <laughs> or is he going to restore what's already there? Well, the answer is it's a bit of both, really. God is going to give us a complete new deal. And what Peter is trying to stress in Second Peter chapter three is the fact that you know people are saying, oh, you know, Jesus is not coming back. Where's the promise of his coming? Oh, the whole earth's going on the same way that it was last week, and the week before that, and the year before that, and the century before that. Nothing ever changes. God's clearly not going to do anything about it. And Peter saying, No, don't you believe it? The change is going to be cataclysmic. It's going to be massive. So he's talking about one side of the picture, but Peter in Acts chapter three is talking about God bringing everything back putting things in his creation the way they should have been. And so although it would be a massive, incredible change, yet there's a continuity with the past as well. And the Greek phrase he uses here in Acts chapter 3 is apokastastis pentone. Uh, and that means basically the renewal of everything. Something that's already there, but just made into something quite different. It's like when you're trying to make a cake and you get it all wrong and it doesn't look good at all and you think, I can't put this in the oven. It's just such a mess. I've put in too much butter and not enough flour and, and it's just a mess. And then a better cook than you comes along and says, ah, no, 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 you can save that. Hang on a minute. I know what to do. And he puts in a bit more of this and a bit more of that, sticks it in the oven and says, there we fell. And out of the oven comes this most incredible smell. <laughs> it's really good. Because he's renewed what in your hands was just an absolute mess. It's a complete transformation. But at the same time, there's continuity. So when it comes out of the oven, you can say, <laughs> I made it. And <coughs> well, perhaps you did a little bit towards it. You know? so, but it's your cake still. It's just been transformed completely. And you see, there are two words that are used. When, God, when the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth, there are two Greek words that could be used. There's the word neos which means something that just wasn't there before, and it's completely different, it's just something remote and, and completely uh, alter, uh, um, 
other than what you had before. And there's another word, which is kainos. And that means new in the sense that it's not been this way before, but it's made out of something that already exists. And that is a word that's used for new heavens and a new earth. It's a word that's used about you being a new creature as well. Kainos, not neos. God doesn't tear up the blueprint. doesn't say, oh, I've made a mess of human beings. Let's just reprogram our minds and change them into something completely different. He doesn't do that. He wants what's there. And he takes incredible patience in turning you into what he wants you to be. It's going to be the same with the planet. It's going to be a cataclysmic change, a massive change. But at the same time, it's not going to be like living in a different place. All that's best about this world, everything you enjoy right now, that will be there, but to the max. Anthony Hoykema talks about this in his great book, The Bible in the Future, one of the great books on this subject. And uh, he says, uh, what we're talking about is not the emergence of a cosmos totally other than the present one, but the creation of a universe which, though it has been gloriously renewed, stands in continuity with the present one. I remember when I was a wee boy in Sunday school, I don't really want to go to heaven. I mean, I gather that the streets are made of gold and there's silver all over the place. And I just thought it was a very hard place. It was like going to the, the church every Sunday morning that I went to, which was a pretty boring place for children to be. And I said, I don't really want to go to heaven if it's like that. And uh, what I didn't realize was that what God was talking about is something that just brings to its complete fruition everything you enjoy to the most right now. And so heaven will not be some kind of strange place that you've got to get used to and you won't work out where things are on the map for the first three weeks. No, it'll be like this world, but much, much better. Revelation talks about it, doesn't it, as, as heaven coming down to earth, the heavenly city Jerusalem and the earthly creation coming together and the new city of God in which God lives in the midst of his people. It's all picture language. It expresses a reality, doesn't it? What is best in this life right now, what you really enjoy, what makes you you, will just be absolutely at the max, because that was what God intends. He doesn't tear things up and start again. He lovingly waits with his creation and makes it into what he wants it to be. So, just to finish, where we have been the last two weeks by asking the same question, where are you in all of this? I guess there are three positions, once again, that you can be in. You can be a Christian who is looking forward to that future salvation. And that's the great hope of your life. We need to realize most people in the world are not like that. And the, the, the Apostle Paul says, we sorrow not as those who have no hope. There are so many people who have no hope. And uh, just this, 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 do typing, cancel, there we go. Just uh, yesterday, I, I, I found, or overnight last night, I found on the news channel um, the words of one of Britain's leading restaurateurs. He's famous for filling Padstow with fish and chips, if that's uh, any hint. And he's about to die because he's got cancer. And he says, even though at my age and with the normal realities of life, I'm not going to last that much longer. I think as long as you've got your health and you're optimistic generally and enjoying your life, if you, you don't tend to ponder too much about how little life you've got left. That's his way of coping with it, which is brave. But basically, it means just shutting your eyes, doesn't it? Don't think about it. Just leave it in the background. It'll happen one of these days. It'll take you by surprise. Don't need to think about it till then. And that's a guy who's assuming there is nothing else to come. <laughs> Once you reach the end, that's it, it's curtains. 
And uh, there's also, I found in another story, uh, the, one of the presenters of a, a, a TV series which my wife likes, like, abhor and abominate, um, and he's, gonna, he's, he's just died suddenly as well. He knew he was going to die because, again, he was suffering from cancer. And uh, he said uh, this, one of the reasons I think I'm still here, this is a month ago, is I'm not a cancer patient. It's always there at the back of your mind, but I'm living with cancer, not dying with cancer. And uh, um, he, he said, if I just listened to the prognosis I'm perennially given, I'd be curled up in a ball and crying myself to death. If I really looked at the situation I'm in, in other words, I couldn't handle it. So all I can do is forget it, blank it out. And one of his friends uh, uh, said uh, something after he died, which I found quite interesting too. Oops, I can't find it. There we are. Which is this. When we die, I want to believe that we are scattered throughout all the people that ever loved us. That we will continue to exist in them, in the bloodstream, for generations, for lifetimes. And addressing her friend who's just died, she said, you will, Johnny. That's sad too, isn't it? An expression of hope, but hope in what? I want to believe, she says. Where's her evidence? Where's the proof that anything like that happens? Scattered throughout all the people that have ever loved us. What does that actually mean? What does that mean for me? I'm scattered in a million different places throughout all the people that love me. That, I, I, I don't know what that, that tells me about my future. She just wants something to hang on. And then she says, at the end, you will, Johnny, you will. She's got no evidence for that. She's got no proof of that. Whereas as a Christian, you have a hope that is steadfast and certain. You know what's going to happen. Some golden daybreak, Jesus will come. Some golden daybreak, battle's all won. He'll fight the victory. He'll, he'll uh, shoot the victory. Break through the blue. One, some golden daybreak for me and for you. Or and secondly, you could be the kind of Christian who's never really thought about this stuff. I need to start thinking about it a bit more. Let me commend it to you. Because we're living in an increasingly hopeless world. And your your salvation is one of the important things you've got to, 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 to guide and inform your life that other people just don't possess. Or it's possible you're not even a Christian yet. I need to find out how it is you can have this firmness of hope and certainty of the future that other people around you have here. If so, talk to somebody afterwards. Let me just pray for a second. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've saved us. If we're Christians, there's been a day when we've come to know you and it's changed everything. Thank you for the fact that we are being saved too. And you're changing us day by day into your likeness. And as we see your life in other people, we understand a little bit more of what you're doing in us. And we can see those changes taking place bit by bit. Help us too to get excited about the future salvation we're heading for. About the way in which you're going to change into your likeness. The way in which you're going to renew this old earth. Our minds are going to work in a different way. It's going to be fantastic. And we thank you for your grace. We look forward to your glory. And we ask you to help us to take that hope to other people who need it. Whenever we get the chance. We ask it for your namesake. Amen.